scripture reading this morning will be from Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 11. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You may be seated. Good morning. It's so good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship, and I'm excited about this time we're going to be able to spend in Bible study together. If you have your Bibles with you, let's go to Psalm chapter 63. If you're not there already from our scripture reading just a moment ago, we're going to be studying this morning in Psalm 63. Looking at the entire chapter, verses 1 through 11. Psalms chapter 63, verses 1 through 11. Have you ever been really thirsty before? Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted nothing more than a drink of water? In 1996, there was a young Marine named Joey Mora. He was standing on a platform of an aircraft carrier patrolling the Iranian Sea. For some unknown reason, he ended up falling overboard. He ended up falling into the ocean. The other soldiers on the boat, they didn't recognize it until about 36 hours later. When they finally recognized that he was gone, that he was nowhere to be found, they sent out a search and rescue team trying to find him. The search and rescue happened for about 24 hours. But then at the 60-hour mark, they decided to give up. They presumed that he was dead. I mean, who could survive in the ocean for 60-plus hours without even a life jacket? Well, fast forward about another 12 hours. About 72 hours after he fell into the ocean, about three days Four Pakistani fishermen found Joey Mora. He was barely paddling. He was exhausted. He was floating on a flotation device that he had made out of his pants. They invited him into the boat and eventually connected him back with the soldiers, back with the other Marines. Two years later, Stone Phillips interviewed Joey Mora on NBC Dateline in 1998. 
And one of the first questions that he asked him was, what was the most difficult part about that experience? What was the most excruciating part of of being stuck in the ocean for 72 hours and, and nobody being able to find you? Without any hesitation whatsoever, Joey Morris said, the most difficult part of that entire experience, the most excruciating part, was that I was surrounded by water, but I wasn't able to drink any of it. He said, for 72 hours, the number one thought on my mind, the ache of my body, was just for a drink of fresh water. I hope you've never been that thirsty before. I hope you've never been in that kind of situation. But you know what it's like to be thirsty. You know what it's like to need a drink of water. Do you know what that feels like when your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth and your throat is dry? Where it feels like your mouth is full of cotton balls and you can barely swallow. Where you're sweating so much and you feel like just, just one sip of water, just one sip of a nice cold glass of water would take care of all the problems that I have right now. When you go to Psalms chapter 63 and verse 1, that is exactly how David feels about God. When you look at the title of this psalm, at the very beginning of Psalm chapter 63, we learn that this psalm was written by King David. More than likely it was written during the time period of 2 Samuel 15 and 2 Samuel chapter 16, where David is on the run from his son Absalom. You remember that story? How Absalom rebelled against his father, tried to take the united kingdom of Israel from his father. How he was actually seeking to kill his father David. Psalm 63 is written whenever David is fleeing from the city of Jerusalem. He's fleeing from his son Absalom. And as the title says, he goes into the wilderness. He goes into the desert of Judah where there's no food, there's no water. There's nothing to eat and there's nothing to drink. As David would have been hungry for food. As David would have been thirsty for water. It made him reflect on his hunger for God. It made him reflect on the thirst that he had for spiritual things. He says, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you on the, out, on the inside. My flesh faints for you on the outside as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's kind of like the student who went up to his spiritual teacher one time and said, what do I need to do to truly find God? I feel like I haven't done that. I feel like I'm not living that kind of life right now. What do I need to do to truly find God? Instead of answering that question outright, the master took his student by the hand and led him down to the river that ran alongside of their village. They walked into the river until the water got up to their waist, and he told his student, immerse yourself in the water. Go all the way underneath the water. Well, as soon as the student did that, as soon as the, his last little hair went down underneath the water, the master put out his hand, put it on top of the student's head, and held him there. Ten or fifteen seconds passed, and the student started to push up to get a breath of fresh air. But the master held him under. About 60 seconds passed. And at that point, the student was flailing his arms and he was kicking his legs, trying to get up and, and get a breath of fresh air. But the master continued to hold him there. Another 20 or 30 seconds passed. 
The master took his hand off of the student's head and immediately he popped up out of the water, gasping for air. He breathed like he'd never breathed before. The master waited just a couple of minutes and then finally said, Son, when you desire God just like you desire the air that you just breathed, then and only then will you truly find Him. Whenever we go to Psalm chapter 63, that's the kind of desire that David had for God. Just like the student earnestly sought after a breath of fresh air, David says, I'm earnestly seeking after God. He says, my soul thirsts for God. My flesh faints for Him as if I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In other words, David has a passion for God. David is excited. David is enthusiastic about spiritual things. He has a passion for God. He has a thirst for God more so than anything else in his life. What about you? What about me? Do we have a passion for God? Do we have an enthusiasm and excitement about spiritual things? Do we thirst for God? Do we long for Him like the air that we breathe? And the water that we drink? Do we have a passion? Do we have a thirst for God more so than anything else in our lives as if we're in a dry and weary land where there is no water? Last week, we started a sermon series that we've called Be Passionate. And that's the kind of people we should be. That's the kind of life that we should live as followers of Jesus. We should be passionate for God. We should have a longing for Him. We should have a thirst for Him more so than anything else in our lives. But why? David, I see everything that you're going through in life. Your son has rebelled against you. He's trying to kill you and take the kingdom from you. And now you've fled from Jerusalem. You've fled from your home into the wilderness of Judah where there's absolutely nothing to eat and absolutely nothing to drink. I see everything you're going through right now. Why are you so passionate about God? Why is He the number one thought on your mind? Maybe when we read Psalm 63, we would think David would write about how he longs for his reconciliation with his son. We might expect David to write about how he longs for some food or longs for some water as he's in the middle of the desert of Judah. But that's not what he does. He talks about his desire and passion for God. He talks about how he longs for God more so than anything else. Why? David, with everything going on in your life, why are you so passionate about Him? Why is He the number one thought on your mind? We could ask ourselves the same question. Why should we be passionate about God? I mean, with everything going on in our lives, with how busy we can be, with all the hats that we wear, with all the responsibilities that we have, with all the trials and difficulties that we go through on a daily basis, why should we long for Him? Why should we thirst for Him as if we're in a dry and weary land where there is no water? Well, I think when we look at Psalms chapter 63, David gives us four reasons that we should be passionate about God. And I want us to notice those together. Number one, we should be passionate for God because of our relationships with God. 
As David begins Psalms chapter 63, he begins by directly addressing God. You notice the first six words? O God, You are my God. Underline that word my. If you write in your Bible, if you, if, if you like to do that and you have a pen handy, underline that word my. That word is very significant. O God, You are my God. Notice what David doesn't say. David doesn't say, O God, You are the God. He doesn't say, O God, You are the Lord of heaven and earth. You are the Creator of all things. You are the One who is so much higher and greater than I am. Could David have addressed those God, uh, addressed God in those ways? Of course he could have. But as he goes through this situation in Psalm 63, as he flees from his son into the wilderness of Judah, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, O God, You are the God. He says, O God, You are my God. If I were to tell you that Leslie is my wife, what am I saying? What am I telling you? I'm telling you about the personal relationship that we have. She is my wife, and I am her husband. If I were to tell you that Andy and Howard are some of my friends, you don't know them, but what am I telling you about them? I'm telling you about the personal relationship that I have with them. They are my friends, and I am their friend. When David says, oh God, you are my God, what is he telling us? He's telling us about the personal relationship that he has with God. God, you are my God, and I am your person. David, I want to know why you're so passionate about God. I want to know why you're thirsting and longing for Him with everything else going on in your life. Oh God, you're my God. He says, the reason that I'm so passionate about God is because of the relationship that I have with Him. He is my God. I am His person. And that's why I'm longing for Him so intensely. With everything going on in our lives, why should we be passionate about God? We should be passionate for God, number one, because of our relationships with Him. When two people at Freed Hardman would start dating, and, and I don't know if you know, we have a few Freed Hardman students there on the back row who are visiting us today, so you guys might know what I'm talking about here. Whenever two students at Freed Hardman start dating, which is not an uncommon occurrence, by the way, do you know what FHU stands for? You might think it stands for Freed Hardman University, but when you're at Freed Hardman University, it either stands for Find a Husband University or Find a Housewife University. That's, that's what it's all about for some people. But at FHU, when two people would start dating, a really big part in that process was them becoming what we call Facebook official. This is where they update their relationship statuses on Facebook to say, so-and-so is in a relationship with so-and-so. Why do they do that? Well, on Fried Hardman's campus, that's a very public way of claiming a very private relationship. I've formed a relationship, a private relationship with this person, and now I want everybody to know it. Everyone who scrolls by that post on Facebook is able to know I'm in a relationship with this person. That's how I knew when people would start dating at Fried Hardman. I'd find out on Facebook. In a similar way, God wants you 
And he wants me to very publicly claim a very personal relationship with him. In the eyes of anyone who watches, God wants us to be able to say what David says in the very first verse of Psalm 63, O oh God, You are my God. Is He the God? Is He the Lord of heaven and earth? Is He the Creator of all things? The One who is so much higher and greater than we are? Of course He is. And we should recognize Him in those ways. But just like He's the God, He wants to be your God. Just like He's the Lord of heaven and earth, He wants to be the Lord of your life. Just like He's the Creator of all things, He wants to be your Savior. Just like He's the One who is so much higher and greater than us that we can't fully comprehend Him. He wants to be the One who walks with us. He wants to be the One who empowers everything that we do. God wants you to look at Him saying, You are my God. God wants you to very publicly claim a very personal relationship with Him. We serve a God who calls us into relationships with Himself. Do you have a relationship with God? Is that something that you can claim this morning? If it is, if you can, then that's the first reason you should be so passionate about Him. Because of the relationship you have with Him. Number two, we should be passionate for God because of who God is. As David continues in to verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4 of Psalm 63, he begins to reflect back on his time in Jerusalem. And specifically, he reflects back on the time he spent in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle, the time that he spent in worship. As David thinks about the time that he spent in worship to God in the sanctuary of the tabernacle, he remembers what he saw about God. He remembers what he saw about who God is. What he saw about God's nature and character. He says, beginning in verse 2, he remembers how he saw God's power. The God who called him into a personal relationship with himself is also a God who is all-powerful. David saw that. David knew that. There's not anybody or anything that has more power, strength, or might than God. David remembers how he saw God's glory. That word in the Old Testament can be translated either as riches and wealth or glory and honor. God fills both of those definitions. He is a God of riches and wealth. Because He created all things, all things belong to Him. And He's a God who's deserving of, of glory and honor for who He is in His nature. David continues in verse number 3 and remembers how he saw God's steadfast love. That word, Hebrew word in the Old Testament, is used to refer to the kind of love and loyalty that exists in a covenant relationship. David remembers how he saw God's love for His people. A love that's never going to end. A love that is steadfast. David remembers how he saw in the sanctuary God's loyalty to His people. How God's going to be loyal to Israel based on the covenant that He made with them. How impactful is that in David's life? How important is God's steadfast love to David? Verse 3, he says, Your steadfast love is better than life. David says, I would rather die than go a day without your love and loyalty to me and to your people Israel. 
And then number four, in verses three and four, David remembers how he saw God's worthiness. He says, I'm going to bless you as long as I live. I'm going to dedicate my life to giving you the praise that you deserve. He says, I'm always, not sometimes, not a majority of the time, he says, I'm always going to be lifting up my empty hands to you to be filled with your power, to be filled with your presence and with your activity. Why does he do that? I'm going to bless you as long as I live. Why? Because David realizes that God is worthy. God is deserving of His never-ending praise. David, I want to know, why are you so passionate about God? With everything going on in your life, why are you longing for Him? He says, I'm passionate about God because of who He is. Because I've seen, I've experienced His power, His glory, His steadfast love, how He is worthy of my never-ending praise. Why should we be passionate about God? Despite everything we go through, all the responsibilities we have, all the struggles that we deal with, we should be passionate for God, number two, because of who He is. Whenever we leave a time of worship, we should have a similar response to David. We should leave worship saying the same thing that David said when he left worship. God, I see Your power. I see Your glory. I see Your steadfast love. How how Your love is never going to end and You're always going to be loyal to Your people based on the covenant that You've made with them in the blood of Jesus. God, I see how worthy You are. I see how deserving You are of me blessing You, not just in an assembly like this one, but every single day that I live. Do you recognize who we're talking about here? You recognize who God is? Can you see Him in His true nature and character as we worship together this morning? If you can, then that's the second reason you should be so passionate about Him. Number three, We should be passionate for God because of what God has done. As we continue into verses 5-8 through of Psalm 63, David not only remembers who God is, but he remembers what God has done in his life. Number one, he remembers how God has given him satisfaction. In verses 5 and 6, David talks about the darkness. He talks about the watches of the night. At night is when we're most vulnerable. That's when we're the most vulnerable physically. It's whenever we're the most vulnerable emotionally. Things are worse at night, aren't they? Than they are in the daytime. David says, even in my life's darkest moment. He says, even in the darkest of nights, I feel like I'm sitting at a feast. I feel like I'm sitting at a five-course meal where I'm full and I'm satisfied. He says, even in the darkest moments of my life, my lips are going to sing with joy to you. Even in David's darkest moments, even in the moments where he felt the most pain he had ever felt, he recognized how God had given him satisfaction. He recognized how God had, had satisfied him, allowed him to be content sitting him down at the table at a feast. Number two, he remembers how God had given him help. David could have thought back to a number of different moments in his life, but maybe he thought back to 1 Samuel 17, whenever he stood against the giant Goliath. Do you remember that story? 
How was a young Hebrew boy able to defeat the Philistines' most powerful soldier, Goliath, with only a slingshot and a few stones that he picked up from a brook? Verse 7, You have been my help. David recognizes there's so many different points in my life where God helped me, where God gave me assistance. He remembers how God had given him protection in verse number 7. Just like a mother bird will take her chicks under her wing in order to shield them and protect them from what's going on in the outside world, David says, I remember God how you've protected me. How You've taken me under the shadow of Your wings and shielded me, protected me from so many difficulties in life. And then he says in verse 8, God, I remember how You've given me support. God gave David a place to cling to. A place to hold on to. But it's not like he was barely holding on. You know, like in Lion King where Mufasa is barely holding on by a couple fingers and he ends up falling to his death. It's not that David is holding on on this cliff of, by a couple of fingers. He says, no God, Your hand is upholding me. Your righteous and powerful right hand is supporting me. Why are you so passionate about God? Why do you have such a longing and thirst for Him? And David says, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. Let me tell you about how God has given me satisfaction. How He's helped me. He's protected me. He's supported me when I thought, I was going to fall. That's why I'm so passionate about Him. Why should we be so passionate about God? Number three, we should be passionate about God because of what He's done in our lives. Can you relate to David in verses 5-8? through eight? Can you look back in your life and think about moments where God gave you satisfaction? Even in those really dark moments, those, those situations where you felt like you were sitting at the feast table because God had helped you to have contentment? Can you remember times in your life where God has been your help? You didn't feel like you were going to be able to do it. You didn't feel like you were going to be able to, to overcome it, but you did. Because God was helping you. Because He was with you. Can you look back on times in your life where God protected you? where He took you under the shadow of His wings and shielded you from so much difficulty in life, can you remember times in your past where God supported you? You felt like you were about to fall, but then were able to stand on the firm foundation of His righteous and mighty right hand. Can you see what God has done in your life? Can you see how God has been with you in the past if you can? That's the third reason why you should be so passionate about Him. And then finally, number four, we should be passionate for God because of the victory that God will provide. As David closes out this psalm in verses 9-11, through 11, he begins to think about those who seek to destroy his life. And what he says in verses 9 and 10 is that those who are seeking to destroy my life are going to be destroyed themselves. He says they're going to go down into the depths of the earth. They're going to be given over to the power of the sword. Their corpses are going to be consumed by jackals, which jackals were like small wolves that would eat anything that a predator left over. What David is saying is that those who are trying to kill me, those who are seeking me, those who are pursuing me to kill me, are going to be destroyed themselves. 
They are going to be completely consumed. He says, my enemies will be defeated. But then the first word of verse 11 is significant. The word but. He says, here's what's going to happen to my enemies in verses 9 and 10. But in contrast to that, the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by Him shall exult. All who swear by Him shall rejoice. David is confident. David knows. David trusts that God is going to give him victory. That his enemies are going to be defeated. His enemies are going to be completely consumed. And he will be left to rejoice in God and to rejoice in the victory that God supplies. David, I want to know why you're so passionate. Why are you hungering and thirsting for God like you are? David says, it might not look good right now. But I know, I trust, I'm confident that God will give me victory. Why should we be so passionate about God? We should be passionate for God, number four, because of the victory that God will provide to us. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, Paul asks a couple of questions. Powerful questions. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes into a list. Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? He says, think about it. What can separate you from the love that Jesus has for you? Look at all these difficulties we go through. Distress, famine, nakedness, danger. Look at all these trials that we have to deal with. Can any of those things separate us from the love that Jesus has for us? What's the answer? It might not look good right now. But if you jump down a couple verses, Romans 8, verse 37, the answer is no. Hey, can any of this, can any of these difficulties separate you from the love of Jesus? No. But in all these things, God, are you going to stop me from ever dealing with anything difficult? Well, no. In all these things, in all of those difficulties, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. Literally, we are super conquerors. Through Him who loved us. Take a look at the enemies in your life. Take a look at the trials that you're going through. It might not look good right now. But then you ask yourself the question, what can separate me from the love of Jesus? Can any of my enemies, can any of these difficulties separate me from the love of Christ? No, they can't. Instead, in all of those things, as I deal with enemies, as sometimes I feel defeated, as I go through difficulties in life, through Jesus, I am more than a conqueror. In other words, God will provide victory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward are you confident in the victory that God will one day provide? If you are, that's the fourth reason why you should be so passionate about Him. The sermon series is be passionate. That's what we're thinking about for the rest of the year. We want to be on fire for Jesus, but why? I look at everything going on in my life and you look at what's going on in your life. We have a lot of responsibilities. We wear a lot of hats. We go through a lot of trials. Why should we be passionate about God? Why should He be our heart's number one desire? Why should we thirst and long and faint for Him? 
answer that question with four questions. Question number one, do you have a personal relationship with God? Question number two, do you realize who God is? Question number three, can you see what God has done in your life? Question number four, are you looking forward to the ultimate victory that God will provide? If you are, if you can, if you do realize those things, then the question is not, why should I be passionate about God? The question is, why would I not be passionate about God? I want to suggest to you this morning that our passion for God is not based on ourselves. Maybe sometimes we put that on our shoulders. If I'm going to be passionate for God, I have to do this. And I have to be involved in this. And I have to study. And I have to pray. And I have to read. And I have to attend. And while those things are very important, that's not where it starts. Our passion for God is not based on self. Our passion for God is not based on who we are or what we do. Our passion for God is based solely on Him. Why are you passionate for God? Why should I be passionate for God? It's all about the relationship that I have with Him, who He is in His nature, what He has done for me, what He continues to do for me, and what He will ultimately do for me one day, the glorious day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. See, when I'm thinking about that, when my passion for Him is based on Him and not me, the question is not, well, I have a lot going on in my life. Why should I be passionate? The question becomes, how can I not be passionate? I mean, look at who He is. Look at what He's done. Look at how He invites us into relationship with Him. Look at how He walks with us and empowers us every single day. It's not, why should I? But why would I not be passionate about a God like that? A God who has done so much for me. A God who invites me into a relationship with Him. What does your passion for God look like this morning? What is your passion for God based on? Does it need to be ignited in the waters of baptism? Does it need to be reignited by having your brothers and sisters pray for you? If you have a need, please let us help you as we stand and as we sing.